0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio
1: Network. Welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for joining me today. Coming up top of the hour, Pat Steinberg will talk about the uh, the Calgary Flames. They have a game tonight against the Columbus Blue Jackets, so a special one for Johnny Goudreau specifically. Uh, and also a big game on Hockey Night in Canada that face off against the Toronto Maple Leafs um, Saturday night. Uh, in the meantime, the story this week uh, was a performance by Tage Thompson against the Columbus Blue Jackets: five goals and one assist. Five goals, by the way. In the first two periods, he has been a phenom all season long, even stretching back to last season, folks, where he really started to distinguish himself. And now he's busily and quickly going about becoming a household name amongst hockey fans everywhere. His father um, as a 14-year pro, is now the uh, Bridgeport Islanders head coach, has been for a while. He is Brent Thompson, and he joins me now. Brent, thanks so much for doing this. How are you today?
2: Good, good. Thank you for having me on.
1: Uh the ple- the pleasure is all mine. Um since Wednesday, how many interview requests have you had?
2: <laughs> yeah, quite a few. Uh <laughs> but uh you know, uh, look at we picked you guys as the one. <laughs>
1: Awesome. Well, we uh, we we very much appreciate it. Listen, your um your son. And we we should point out too. Like, there's Tage Thompson. Your other son, Tice, plays at Utica. Uh, Kevin Deneen, the head coach there. Remember, the, this is New Jersey Devils organization. So I don't want to mention one son without mentioning the other as well. Um, but that game on Wednesday, I'm not sure if you were watching it. Li- well, were you watching the game live on Wednesday?
2: Yes, I was. I actually, uh, you know, obviously a uh, big fan and try to see as many games as possible and that night we weren't playing so i had the opportunity to watch it live and
1: yeah.
2: I was just like every other every other fan and every other parent i was i was cheering for him i was hoping he'd he'd get to six and, and go from there but uh you know unfortunately he didn't and the five is still unbelievable i i am amazed that he got five oh. I'm so happy for him and it's it was exciting and fun to watch
1: yeah, I, I want to get to the record in, in a second here, but, I mean, if if you can take off, and this is like, impossible, I know. Like, I'm a hockey dad, too. My kids are much younger than than Tage, but nonetheless, <laughs> like, I know it's hard to take the hockey dad hat off, but if you could put on the, the the Brent Thompson coach hat and look at your son, Tage, one of the things that jumps out to me is, first of all, big man, great hands, uh, stick handle in tight, re- amazing release, great shot, et cetera. But to me, it's... It's how he's scoring all these goals. Like it's not, he doesn't just have like one signature spot. It's not like okay, that's the the Tage Thompson spot. Like you know the uh, the Ovechkin spot, right? There's not one spot where that's a sweet spot of the bat for him. He scores from all over the offensive zone. The the parent hat off and the coach hat on. What does Brent Thompson see in Tage Thompson?
2: Wow, Uh, I think he's a uh, obviously the big body power forward. Um, You know, he does score in different places, and that's what makes him dangerous. He, you know, growing up, it was funny because he's never been a big body. He's always been kind of undersized or average size, if you will. So he kind of had to learn how to use his edges, uh, be able to, you know, make moves in tight areas, go to the net, and then as he. You know once he became a teenager, he started getting a little bit of growth and shoot when he was at yukon he he grew two inches in college, and again, just kind of learning his body and that even happened in the pro learning his body so as a as a you know kind of mixing both a parent and a coach, he's learned how to score different ways at a young age and kind of brought that with him, and the size has been just an added bonus that he's now he's kind of got that big frame. Yeah. He can still have the sweet hands and, and has the ability to to uh, score in a lot of different ways. I, I think, for me, it's just his release a couple of times. You know, obviously, he's got a one-time, he's got a quick release on his strong side. Um, he can unload the puck at any different point, so that's a huge advantage, too. So thinking the game, for me, is, is one of the things, and I think he's he's always, always found that, ability to find those quiet areas, whether it's the high pocket, whether it's just sneaking in on the back side. So, again, putting yourself in a position to be able to score is half the battle, and I think he's always had that ability.
1: Where did he get the shot from, Brent? Was it I like you?
2: i say me, but absolutely no chance in hell. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> uh, no, listen, he's always it's just an hour. I think it's the fact he's worked on it so much. When you, you, you see the love, and every hockey parent will see their kids love this, the game. First thing he, he did every single day, both the boys, both of my boys, all they wanted to do was go shoot pucks in the driveway. And I think, uh, you know, yeah, we taught the transfer of weight, the, the proper release as far as, uh, you know, pointing your stick to certain areas, the hip rotation, all that kind of stuff. And And for him, it's just a matter of just, repetition i think he just you know he always just tried to shoot a little bit harder a little bit harder a little bit harder and lean into it a little bit more with the weight transfer and uh, natural i think just he's kind of found that old that just through repetition and shooting you know 200 pucks a day just seemed like that's yeah. where and he loved doing it and so i think that just became second nature to be able to get that shot off
1: it's elite. It's so much fun. Like, we were talking on the program yesterday, um, being joined by Brent Thompson, uh, head coach of the, uh, this, uh, uh, the uh, Bridgeport Islanders, also the father uh, of Tage Thompson. And, you know, we were talking yesterday on the show about, you know, players that you would pay to watch, like singularly. Oh, like, well, I got to go watch Crosby. I got to go watch McDavid. I've got to watch Matthews. Like, your son's there. Like Tage Thompson is someone that even if you're not a Buffalo Sabres fan, you're bouncing around. You have to watch like at least a little bit of every single Buffalo Sabres game just to see what this guy can do. Because like it's uh, honestly, it's remarkable. And, you know, you mentioned about getting into quiet areas. It's funny too. You know, Brett Hall used to always have the saying: "Sometimes the best way to be in the play is to be out of the play." And it's one thing for Hall to say that, but he's not six foot six. Like to me, the most remarkable thing is how does a guy that big get invisible in the offensive zone as as often as as often as Tage does?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I I think it's just the hockey IQ. I think he sees the game, he reads the play well, he anticipates well, and. Uh, you know it's exciting to watch. It, it is really exciting, and thank you for those nice, nice words because it's it's it is, you know, pretty pretty special where he's at right now, and you know, hopefully he continues to grow yeah. and develop and and become a complete player and help to help his team win.
1: Okay, so full disclosure, Brent, something I was really sour about yesterday, and I thought I'd wake up this morning and I wouldn't be sour about it anymore, but I still am. So, Tage has five goals after two periods, and we're all thinking, okay, what's the record? And the record is seven. It's Joe Malone in 1920. So, this is a record that stood for over a hundred years, and everything that Tage is touching is turning into, well, a red light going off. And, you know, he's got five, and then you look at the, the club that has six, and it's Cyan Curbed Entity, it's Sid Howe, it's Red Berenson, and it's Daryl Sittler. There's only one standing at seven, and that's Joe Malone. And so we're all wondering, like the whole hockey world, he's got 20 minutes to do this. Can he do it? And then the third period comes around, and he doesn't even get four minutes. And his minutes are normally he's up around 18 and a half, 19, and he's I think it's like 1340 or 1345 by the end of the uh, by the end of the night. To be honest with you, Brent, I was pissed. I'm like, if I'm Don Gran- I'm, I'm Granato, I'm sending him out there every single shift and everybody, Tuck, Skinner, Daleen, everybody is just trying to set him up to get that record. While you were watching it, did part of you just say, come on, man, let's get Thompson out there. There's a record that's juicy and sitting right there. My kid has a chance for history.
2: It's a good question. And yeah, you know, he, he kind of had the mix. I, I, yeah, I wanted him out there, and he, but at the end of the day, uh, he, doing what's right for the team is the, is the priority, and that's always been the hockey world. And you know, I, I, yeah. I hey, you rest them, get them ready for the next game, and uh, you know, quite honestly, it would have been awesome for him to get the seven. Could he have got it with with uh, you know more ice? You know, you never know. And I obviously Columbus was pushing back and the game was uh, you want to keep the habits. You want to keep the details within the game. You got to make sure we, you know, you, you still play the right mm-hmm. way. I, I get the, uh, the record, but a lot of times the individual things should be put to the secondary for the team. And, and uh, you know, so that's, you know, I, I understand that thought process and uh, you know, Hey, do, get the six or seven goals in the first period. Then you don't have to worry about them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Take it out of the coach's hands um now I was uh, th- this morning when uh, when our producer said you were coming on today i I went back and I looked at um, your son's draft year and I went through the, some of the notes that I had made on him uh, leading up to the draft and I had written uh Yukon as a defenseman on penalty kill. did I have that right? Was he ever used as a defenseman you think of the size and you think. Okay, maybe it's a traditional thought, but look at the size. The, the, the kid must have at least played some defense in his past. Did he play any D at UConn?
2: He, the only time he played D was when they stuck him on D on a penalty kill. Uh so yes he played defense on the penalty kill. I actually didn't like <laughs> I didn't like the way he looked back there. He looked uncomfortable. <laughs> but he had to learn how to he had to learn how to skate backwards a little bit better and work uh, work his feet and his edges. But uh, you know, he was always a strong kid so he could he could get the two hundred foot clears, he could win a little puck battle in the corner and get the clear. So I think that was the thought process uh, of yeah. the, the coaches there.
1: Did you uh did you I mean you were a defenseman, did you ever try to make him a defenseman?
2: Yeah, hundred percent. I tried to force him to be a D when he was younger. He hated every minute of it. Uh, we we, I, I said, hey, why don't you go both the boys? I, I, had, I tried to have, actually my younger one played D for a full year, and he goes, Dad, I want to score goals. I'm like, okay, go ahead, go play center, go do whatever. I, I, at the end of the day, I was just trying to. I wanted him to experience both parts of it, but Tage had absolutely no desire. Matter of fact, Tage wanted to be a goalie so bad. Uh, I, I and I didn't want him really. Got him. Oh yeah, he wanted to be a goalie and. Uh, in youth hockey, and I said, "All right, we'll put you in net." So I put him in net for a game. They won six to one. He had one shot and on him the entire game. He had one actual shot, and they scored. He goes, "I never want to be back there again." So I, I was perfect. I, I was so happy about that because <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't get to score either. So, any of so he they won, they won six to one, but he, uh, he scored the, uh, the goal against.
1: <laughs> so he he retired with a save percentage of zero. Then, which is, it's funny too, exactly. because I think a lot of parents, Brent, go through this. Like, yeah, when your kid says, yeah, I want to be a goaltender, you think, oh, shudder." Um, I hope that either he gets no action and he or she is bored or he or she gets totally shelled and they never want to go back in there again. You know what I mean?
2: Exactly. Exactly. And that was what happened is that he had zero action. He was bored out of his tree. all his teammates scoring. So, yeah, it's, it's every parent's... Uh, I don't know if it's a nightmare <laughs> because you don't really, but you know, <laughs> the goaltending position is one of the hardest positions there is, that's for sure. So, oh, yeah,
1: you know, we, um, Brent, we talk so much about second generation players, and you know, there are certain advantages you have when your father played in the NHL. That's a situation with your two boys. Um, what type of other than the obvious, which is. You know, your father's someone who played in the NHL, so there's a skill set that, that he can pass along. Other than the obvious, like what is what are some of the what are some of the things that you having gone through not just the NHL but you know, pro hockey for the fourteen seasons you were involved that you passed down to your sons?
2: Uh I, I, I think it's just the way you carry yourself both on and off the ice. I think it's the character that you want your 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 teammates to, to be around. I, I think the you know the un, you know, hey, the un the work ethic, um, you know, that's probably the biggest thing. Whatever you're doing, you wanna be able to work hard and, and work smart and be a team guy. And I think them being around and being at the locker room every single day and seeing the camaraderie and how important it is to 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 be a good teammate. Um, they were around all the tonight. time. Especially, you know, when I was in the minors, they were there every day and, and they were fortunate enough to be on the ice with us and just seeing the interactions uh, of the players and being around a lot of good good people. I mean, some of the probably memories, I don't know if they even remember, was the boys, you know, got to be around the Patrice Bergeron and that group of guys, the the, the Providence Bruins that year. We had an unbelievable team. Yeah. And uh, just being around that group of guys and how close we were and, you know, just... That relationship that we had built as a team, maybe that could be one of the things. And, and quite honestly, we talk about being good teammates, being, you know, humble and respectful of the team and people around you. So, uh, you know, that might be the biggest thing. And hopefully he you know, continues with that mindset and, and is a respectful uh, person.
1: You know, I always just wonder about things like, you know, the certain protocols that you have in the NHL, like, you know, when you get off the bus, who checks into the hotel first, sort of what's the pecking order for everything from getting off the bus to getting in the room and I all those tiny things. Like I always think like if I'm a second generation hockey player, I probably know all these things and I don't have to go through that growing pain. Um, uh, a couple of things here, Brent, we will let you get on with your day. Um, the trade that sent him from St. Louis, to Buffalo. Was that I mean that happens at really early in his career. Was that tough for your son?
2: Yeah, no, it was a shock. I mean, he thought he was going to be a blue and it was a big shock. I was actually sitting with him uh in Connecticut when it happened and he was he was pretty shook up. He didn't know how to take it and it was you know, it was tough. Mm-hmm. And I go, Listen, think about hey, one team wants you and they're excited about getting you and you built from there. And he's grown to, you know, the first year there you know, he was excited. You know, there's that mixed emotions that he, that everyone goes through in a trade. And, he, you know, going through at a young age was was a challenge, obviously, and come, getting over a little bit of adversity, yeah. whether it was the injuries or whatnot, and he's, uh, he's grown to love Buffalo. He really loves Buffalo. He loves his teammates. He loves being there. So it all works out for a reason. There's always a plan, and, and uh, I'm very happy
1: for him. uh, uh they love him. Uh, you know that. Like, he is... <laughs> Uh, he's been outstanding, Rasmus Like We we know what the the future of this team is going to look like, and they're all wrapped up with with long-term deals, uh, which is great for the Sabres and and great for Sabres fans. Um, I'll I'll close on this one. What was your conversation with him after he scored the five goals, like after that game? When did you get a chance to talk to him? Uh, What did you say? What did he say to you? What was that father-son moment like?
2: Well, it was one, it was more. It was a text right away. Like I just congratulated him. I said, "I'm so happy for you. Congratulations!" Um, you know. And then with the media and everything else, uh, he couldn't get a hold of me until the next day. So, uh, but just the initial yeah. text is, is was the the big thing. Is congratulations, happy for you. We're a big fan. And he, I mean, that's pretty much standard on on any game. After every game, we we text pretty much after every single game. And that was pretty much what happened that night.
1: That's awesome. Well, listen, uh, listen. you're a, a very successful coach, uh, had a wonderful NHL career, a minor league career as well, and you're the father of a phenom right now uh, in the NHL, <laughs> in Tage. And, you know, I, I know Tice is doing well with uh, with Deneen and Utica. So, listen, uh, all the best to the Thompson family. Thanks so much. And as we mentioned earlier, man, Tage is... Pages must-watch television and there's only really, you know, maybe more than a, just a little bit over a handful of players you can say that about. So, hope he keeps it rolling. Thanks so much for stopping by. Good luck with uh, Bridgeport the rest of the way and I'm sure that uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty more media requests for you because I don't think that your son plans to slow down anytime soon. Thanks so much for for doing <laughs> this Brent. Much appreciated.
2: No problem. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. Take care.
1: There is Brent Thompson, uh, former NHL defenseman, minor league defenseman as well. Played on the Los Angeles Kings, Winnipeg Jets, and one game at the end with the Arizona Coyotes. Um, played in the uh, the minor leagues, whether it's the IHL or the AHL as well. Medicine Hat Tiger uh, for everyone listening in the uh, in the Western provinces as well. Real big, strong, tough. Uh, rugged defenseman, uh, shared the room with some greats. I mean, he just mentioned Patrice Bergeron in Providence. Um, How'd you like to join the NHL and look around the room and see Wayne Gretzky and see Luke Robitaille and see Kelly Rudy? That's the room that Brent Thompson walked into. And listen, man, tonight... Make sure you watch the Buffalo Sabers. Uh, Sabers facing off against the Pittsburgh Penguins. So as you try to you know position things for television. Oh, you know the other night it was Marner versus Robertson. Must be pretty cool to hear. Yeah, tonight watch Tage Thompson as he faces off against Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's how much of a name Tage Thompson is making for himself. Okay, uh, also tonight and uh, you can watch this one um, on on Sportsnet. Uh, The Calgary Flames facing off against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Watch it on Sportsnet West, 7 o'clock Eastern. Pat Steinberg joins me here in a couple of moments. We'll talk about the Calgary Flames and most specifically the call-up, Matthew Phillips, and the success of the third line, and the success of Adam Razichka, and the success of Dan Vladar. Some really interesting stories going on in Calgary. Pat gets us caught up here in a couple of moments. Shannon Goldman as well on the best defense pairs around the league as well. Plenty to get to. We can review with Marchese. Keep it here. Hour two is on the horizon.
0: Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever
2: you get your podcasts.
0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show
2: on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: All right, welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Jeff Merrick along with you. Coming up a little bit later on, Shana Goldman from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. We will talk about pairs. We'll talk about some of the best defense pairs around the NHL. Maybe even rank them. Colorado? Check. New Jersey? Probably two. Uh, we'll get into that the, uh, a little bit later on. Also, the Week in Review with Matt Marchese. In the meantime, Calgary Flames game tonight against the Columbus Blue Jackets. So a special one for Johnny Gaudreau and Eric Branson. And then tomorrow on Hockey Night in Canada, they'll face off against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, the sidebar to all of this is the Bieksa-Chara situation. Uh, with that, we bring in Pat Steinberg, host of Flames Talk on Sportsnet 960. He joins me now. Pat, how are you today?
3: I'm good, Jeff. How are you, man?
1: Uh I'm doing well. So so what rank the um rank the stories in order of importance for you. Uh the Flames third line, and maybe most specifically Adam Rizicka, um the call up of Matthew Phillips or the performance of Dan Vladar? How do they rate for you, Pat?
3: Well, I'm gonna go so I, I just because just based on recency bias, I will go with the recall yeah. of Matthew Phillips first, just because it was. Like, in this market, Jeff, it had been probably three yeah. weeks of nonstop clamoring for it, and, and <laughs> Flames fans Flames fans were getting, like, angry. They were getting upset that it wasn't happening. Yeah. And I actually, the more I've thought about it, I really like the timing of it because, in this sense, when everybody was maybe frothing at the mouth for it the most was when they were going through it. They lost seven in a row, and they were having trouble scoring, or they yep. lost 11 of 15, or whatever, whatever the case was. Now they've won four of five. They're coming off a successful homestand. It looks like their game is starting to round into form. So you're like, okay, maybe this makes more sense, the more than I think about it, to bring a player like Matthew in. Now and and mm. it's in in this market he's a Calgary kid he's a Calgary minor hockey product he's got this unbelievable underdog story being five six and one forty five and and lighting oh, up yeah. the American Hockey League so I think that I I think that's number one and seeing how he does, and if he's actually given a chance. It seems like uh, the game against Columbus Friday night he's going to play at least start with Lucic and Lewis. That's the way it looked at morning skate, so that would be Mm -hmm. line four, but we'll see if that evolves. So I'd go Phillips one. I'd go Vladar two because it's a Canadian hockey market, and goaltending is always an issue, and it it is always a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type position and Jacob Markstrom has struggled. He's an 889 and you've got Dan Vladar who is this likable underdog story again who's been the better guy and he's 928 Mm -hmm. in his last seven starts and he won all four of those games on the homestand and with the way Jacob has struggled to start this year and the way Dan has played, the fact that he's been given this run of Mm -hmm. number one like workload has been a pretty big story. And then I'd go number three Ruzicka, but still a big story because he's been really good, and he sure. has he's stepped in in a spot we didn't know if he could on the wing. He's played on Lindholm's wing. Now he's playing on Backland's wing, mm-hmm. and he's been good. He's the closest to a point-per-game guy they've got on the team, and he's maybe Jeff dialed back the urgency for Brad Tree Living to go out and get another forward, another winger because he stepped in and be able to been able to play a role, an everyday role. He's been able to contribute and yeah. you haven't really had to shelter him or worry about who he's playing with or against. So it's still a big story, even though I put that number three.
1: No, that's good. So there's okay. So there's a lot there. Okay, so let me try to un, 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 unravel a couple of things here. So, one, um, I'm with you on. Well, I'm with you on all these things, really. And I, I remember, I remember Matthew Phillips. This is when we used to have the CHL on Sportsnet. It was a Friday night. It was Victoria, and I think it was. I think it was against. It was either Kelowna or Kamloops. A little fuzzy on it, but it was when he made his debut with the Royals, and he'd just been, you know, called up as. Um, his his uh, minor hockey team had, had bowed out, and he was eligible to play at the end of the season. He get like two or three games, and here's this kid. And I remember, someone from Victoria from the organization said, you know, he's going to be the smallest kid out here by a long shot. He's going to be wearing the birdcage, but we really think this kid's going to be going to you know be gangbusters uh, in the Western Hockey League. And so, sure enough, you watch the you know you watch the first couple of periods, and you say, yeah, he's really slight. But we've seen this story before, and I always pull up short uh, of—I hate using this comparison because it just raises expectations, but I think of someone like Martin St. Louis, you know, someone, you know, who uh, had Hurdle placed in front of him, undersized, he can never do it, yet at every single level he produces. And I kind of see the same thing with with Matthew Phillips, like his whole—like he's a— like, he's someone that coaches should love. And I think that all sports fans should love because his whole life he's been told he can't do this. Like, you know the old saying, like, uh, a small player has to prove that he can play, but a big player has to prove that he can't. Like, that's the story of hockey. And, and I see Matthew Phillips, and I'm like, if I'm a coach, these are the guys that I want. Guys that have been told by everyone in every single corner that you can't do this. And not only do they do it, but they torch the leagues that they're in. He's done it at every level, and now this is the biggest one into the NHL for Game 1. Am I reading Matthew Phillips accurately? You're a lot closer to him than I am.
3: Yeah, and I think you are, and it's 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 really interesting you bring up the, the Marty-Saint-Louis comparison because I, I know a lot of people here are hoping that it kind of doesn't go that way because... All those hurdles and all those things that you were talking about were the same things that were discussed in Calgary when he was trying to break into the NHL, and he was having a hard time getting any traction, and he actually put up decent numbers when he was given an opportunity, but... It, it never really worked here in calgary and and it was never really given the the full meal deal to blossom and there he goes they they kind of decide it's it's just not going to work here and and the rest is history after he lands in Tampa bay and very shortly afterwards he started to become a very good player and then a superstar player and a stanley cup champion and all of that so it's a lot of people are hoping that you know maybe the flames have learned their lesson or something like that in in regards to a smaller player and and he is. He. I, I think your read on it is accurate. I think the fact that he has had all these hurdles put in front of him going back to his time playing minor hockey in Calgary and then getting drafted into the Western Hockey League, it's like, okay, well, that's great, but he's not really going to be a productive Western Hockey Leaguer. Well, he's a 50-goal scorer, almost a, a two-time 50-goal <laughs> yep. scorer in the dub, and then he goes yeah. to the American League. It's like, okay, well, pro hockey, good luck. Good luck, young man. I mean, junior's one thing, but the American League's the second-best league yep. in the world, and he, he – here he is having another incredible point per game season in the American League, and he has been a very, very productive Amer- American leaguer since he got there about half a decade ago. And now here's an opportunity in a in a game that means something in the NHL. And and you know I I know that a lot of people are are frustrated early on that he's not being given a, a chance to play in an NHL top nine or top six role, but you know i'm yep. I'm curious and the the other guy that he really reminds me of and and you'd have a good book on him too uh with with your junior hockey expertise but i I see a lot of similarities in in Andrew Mangipani's story with the flames as well kind of the similar the similar trajectory of being told you're too small and you're not going to make it in the yep. Ontario league and here's a triple digit guy in Barry and not going to make it in pro hockey yeah. and Andrew Majapani started in the NHL on a fourth line and and he was brought in a couple of years ago, I want to say four years ago now. He was four or five years ago, he was brought in and and immediately placed on a fourth line with Derek Ryan and Garnet Hathaway. And it worked and he played really well and and he showed that he didn't need to just be putting up points to be effective. He could be effective in kind of the two way game and, and doing so lower down the depth chart. So I'm curious if Matthew can do the same thing. But you're right. All those hurdles and, and the feel-good story and, and the fact that he is such an easy guy to cheer for, I think that is why so many fans yeah. in Calgary are rooting for the guy. And if it works, I think he'll become a, one of those feel-good stories around the NHL.
1: I'm glad you brought up Manjir too, because you know, it's, it's such an interesting way. I mean, first of all, <clears throat> he had no designs to go to Barry. He had no that he was going the D1 route. That was it. That's what he needed. That was this 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 is the size that I am. This is where I need to go. And you know, he uh he told Elliot and I like uh for the on, on the podcast that uh his like Dale Howard Chuck did like the sell job of all sell jobs to his mom to to convince him and like you think of you know, you think of coaches taking care of your kids. Like, talk about a great situation for Andrew Mangiapane. You know, here's a guy, you know, Hall of Famer, 1,500 points. Like, if there's anyone that's going to that's gonna talk you away from, you know, D1, uh, even though you're an undersized player, and come to junior hockey and play with the Barry Colts, like, what a great spot when, you know, Dale Howardchuck is your coach. And I still, it's funny, whether it's, you know, Mark Scheifele or Tanner Pierce, like, you still see... Dale Howartchuk's fingerprints all over this game. And I'm glad you brought up Mangiapane because specifically with shooting, I still see tons uh, of Dale Howartchuk around the league and you still see with, with Andrew Mangiapane. Let me ask you about Dan Vladar. So all yeah. those things you just said about Dan Vladar, totally agree with. I am curious, though. What did you think when those first two goals went in in the Minnesota game?
3: Hof oh, well i mean when when you look back to how bad the team started I, I thought to myself, okay, here's an opportunity for Dan to kind of do what he, and he said this to us a few times. He said, you know, when a goal or two goes in or when, uh, you know, we're, we're down early in a game, he kind of gets into this mindset of he he does this thing in his head where he goes, okay, I'm not letting in another one. And I was thinking about that because the, the two goals that go in on Minnesota, one of them is a great shot from Matt Dumba that snaps Kaprizov stick in half and, and goes past goes yeah. past Vladar. So you're not stopping that redirect. The next one is 58 seconds later on a two-on-one, and maybe, maybe he overchallenged. Maybe as I, I always try not to critique goaltenders too much on the technical side, because I just I don't know enough about the position. Uh, it's so specialized. But maybe he overchallenged, and and Mason Shaw makes it two nothing. But you kind of saw it, and and again, I know he lets in one more, and Minnesota comes back to tie it late mm-hmm. in the third period before the Flames win it. But he he really didn't nice job of of making sure that yeah, the next one really isn't going in. And and even though the first two weren't on him, and I don't think you go and say ooh rough start for Dan, it was a rough start for the team. And I think sometimes when you have a goalie yeah. that gets into that mindset it can settle a team in. And I just... I really appreciate Vladar's the 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 mental side of his game and the way that he approaches it. Like he is, he's a very difficult guy to throw off. It seems like, and he has a really even keel approach to the position and a really measured approach mm-hmm. to the position. His, his the technical side is high end. His reflexes are, sure. are really really good, but it's that mental side that that I think is really interesting and maybe the biggest key to why all of a sudden having never had an opportunity like this in the NHL before he's taken it, taken it. And and it seems like this is year Mm -hmm. six or year seven in this role for him. And, and with him and the relationship with Jacob Markstrom and the really tight bond that they have, I, I'm I'm really interested to see how this plays out in Calgary because you've got you've got a guy who was a Vesna Trophy runner-up the year before. You've got a guy yep. who's playing unbelievable hockey and maybe has full-on NHL number one chops down the road. And I don't really get the sense, Jeff, that we're on a collision course for a goalie controversy because I don't think either guy it has it in him to allow that to happen. I even if even if Jacob doesn't get his game back in order, he's going to start, it looks like, Friday in Columbus. It'll be uh, one of his rare starts of late because uh, Dan started six of the yeah. last eight prior. But I don't think Jacob's got that in him. He's too wired to win. He's too good of a teammate. I talked to too yeah. many players and, and coaches on or off the record about how just dialed in on being a good teammate and a part of the team Jacob mm-hmm. is. And if it does swing and all of a sudden Dan goes back to kind of being a, a two, I don't, think it's, I don't think that's going to be a problem either. I think these two guys are as tight as can be for kind of the most competitive inter-team position there is in the sport. I think they're as, as tight and yeah. uh, cohesive as can be. And I think the individual personalities, I don't really see that allowing, them, them allowing that to happen either.
1: You know that's um I'm with you the the uh the one thing that I mean sometimes it just happens right sometimes you can predict it Like, last year, you know, the plan was in Dallas. It was eventually for Jake Ottinger to take over the starting position. You know, he's going to start in the American League. He's going to work his way up. You know, they're going to sort out what's going to happen with Bishop and Hudobin and and Braden Holtby. And eventually, if everything works out, at the end of it, Jake Ottinger is going to be the net minder of the Dallas Stars. And in a rare case of four moving pieces and everything works out the way they planned, it worked the way that Dallas planned. Remarkable, because that never happens in hockey. You know, I think going into this season, we looked at Florida and we said, "Hmm, I wonder if by the end of the season, Spencer Knight is the starting netminder and they have a really expensive backup." You know, I think we, uh, you know, look up the uh, up the street where you are in Calgary at the uh, the Jack Campbell, Stewart Skinner situation, and say, "Hmm, maybe uh, is is a similar situation." I mean, it looks like it right now. Is this going to play itself out all season long? I'll be honest with you. I had, and this is not a slight on Dan Vladar. It was just more of a comment on, you know, outside of Edmonton, we've seen Jacob Markstrom dominate teams. I didn't think for one second that we'd be sitting here on December 9th saying, do you think that there's a chance that by the end of it, Dan Vladar could be the number one with the Flames? Are we are we actually there or do we need more, more runway and, and more games behind Vladar?
3: Well, I do think I do think we need a little bit more time, and and I I'm with you. At no point did I think that we'd be I'd, I'd be taking phone calls and texts after a game and, and talking about, oh, geez, <laughs> like, do you do win and you're in, and, and do you do you flip flop that way? Because it was yeah. so it was so clear last year as as Jacob was en route to nine shutouts and and uh, number two in Vesna voting behind Shostarik, and you're like, well, I mean he's the number one. Of course he's gonna get. Get 55 to 60, and Dan will get the rest. But now, all of a sudden, there's a big yeah. question mark each and every game. But I, I still think we are a ways away from actually having that flip flop. And the reason is, I, I guess it's twofold. Number one, I do think ja- like he's just too good of a goaltender. I do think Jacob is going to get his game back on track. And most of the time, when you're talking about a goalie mm-hmm. who is a certain level, and Jacob's been like a 913, 914 goalie for for the better part of half a decade prior to this year, usually when you have a dip, you come back. And I look at Jonathan Quick or Connor Hellebuck or Cam Talbot. There's all kinds of different examples of guys who had that momentary dip and then bounce back. So I do think he will. And then the other thing is, as as well as Dan has played here, and he started six of eight, and he's looked really good in all six of those starts, when you start to play more and you're given that number one workload – Can you sustain the high level of play as the workload gets larger, as fatigue starts to become a factor, as you're you're getting more and more into the grind of being an NHL number one, it's what puts these guys separates these guys is their ability to not just be Mm -hmm. nine fifteen goaltenders, it's the ability to be nine fifteen goaltenders sometimes three or four times a week. And that that's that's to me what is always kind of the the final hurdle of being that number one. So that's why I still think we need some time. But I've I've since they brought him in, and especially since they re-signed him. I've just, there's been something about Dan that you're like, yeah, you know what, this guy, it feels like he's got number one chops. It feels mentally he does the way he approaches it, and then the technical, physical side of it, it feels like he does. So I don't think it's crazy to think that in the second half of the season, if Jacob gets his game back and Vladar continues to excel, that we can be talking about a tandem. And whoever they start in game one of a playoff series, if they get there, you're talking about a rested guy. Um, And then, you know what? Down the road, if, if we're a year from now talking about maybe Dan's ready to take over, like I, I don't think it's a bad thing to have those options. It's such a silly crapshoot position. Oh, no. The more good options you yeah. have, the better. But I just I don't think we're there quite yet on December 9th.
1: Uh, I, I'm with you. I think eventually this, this whole thing goes back to Markstrom. Uh, has been too good a goaltender for too long. I'm a Flames fan. I'm just like, okay, we know we're going back to Marxum eventually. Let's just enjoy this while we have it. Um, Pat, listen, uh, it's been great catching up. Thanks so much for sharing your expertise. Should be a, a wonderful weekend here for the Calgary Flames. Uh, tonight facing off against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Tomorrow on Hockey Night, facing off against the Leafs. Thanks, as always, for stopping by, pal. You be good. You as well. Thanks, Jeff. There is uh, Pat Steinberg. He's the host of Flames Talk on Sportsnet 960. Uh, It is a big weekend for Calgary after that uh, really successful homestand, and we didn't even get a chance to talk about how good Kadri's been. Or, (laughs) this was one of my sneaky favorite moments of the week, by the way, Um, Nazem Kadri's reaction um, to what happened after he passed the puck on the four-on-one against the Minnesota Wild. That's good. Um, that's good stuff right there. And uh, speaking of good stuff, Shayna Goldman always brings the good stuff from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. She joins me now. Shayna, hello. How are you? I understand, by the way, before we start talking about hockey with a quick scan of your Twitter feed, the new kicks have arrived. The Anaheim Ducks kicks have arrived, Shayna.
0: They're good. They've arrived. They're great. They're beautiful in person. And I think I made the right decision because I was really torn on which – to go with, like the maroon teal or go with that that bright green
1: yeah so how did you settle on this decision because we ta- i think I we think... talked about this last time you were on
0: we might have yeah these are the most wearable i think maroon and teal are colors i tend to wear the teal like it's a nice pop that'll match my hair and the green i was stuck on because i already have the buzz Lightyear ultra boosts that are like light green and purple so these are a little <laughs> bit more different
1: <laughs> This is awesome. How many how many pairs of sneaks do you own? Have you have you counted?
0: Um sneakers, I'm probably around like fifty. And then like overall shoes, I'm around sixty or seventy. I keep trying to donate pairs. I think I did like a dozen pairs last year, and then I have just <laughs> accumulated yeah. more to uh fill it back up. But I'm gonna reorganize them in a couple weeks and hopefully donate a couple more pairs.
1: Fifty pairs, awesome. Good for you. Um, speaking of pairs, let's talk about defense pairs around the NHL. And um, you know, when you when you ask someone a uh, who's the best defense pair in the NHL, the default is always and pretty quickly. Well, it's it's got to be Kale McCarr and Devontae's in in Colorado. And maybe that's still the ultimate answer, but there are there are challengers. You know, um, last season there was Aaron Ekblad and Mackenzie Wieger. Now that has been split. Ekblad is playing uh, with Gustav Forsling, as we know. Uh, there's two really good pairs on the New Jersey Devils, so we can get to that as well. But um, have we established that the still dominant pair in the NHL is the one that Colorado has, and that is Makar and Taves?
0: What a smooth transition from pairs of shoes to pairs of defense pairs. I love it. What a pro here. Um so, Kel McCarr and, and and Taves, like, they're the gold standard. You know, they are the modern top pair yeah. that I think every single team should be striving to have. Like, and, and the amazing part is that they're tasked with top competition because I think a couple of years ago, if you asked some more traditional thinkers, should Kel McCarr get top competition, most would say no, shield his minutes, which is, it's not a knock to the player. Like, sometimes that's the best thing you can do. You look at Roman Yossi and how the Predators have, like, mastered how to you know, uh, systematically like tweak his game the last couple years to maximize him. There's nothing wrong with that. But the mm-hmm. fact that Makar is a player that can go up against top competition because he can outskate them, he can outsmart them. And Taves, so underrated, you know, he finally was getting his due last year a bit, but he's been he was great with the Islanders. He's even better in Colorado. So that's definitely the pair mm-hmm. to beat. But the interesting thing is you can look at this two ways. You can look at purely results. And if that's the case that's where Dougie Hamilton and Jonas Siegenthaler come in. If you're weighing who they hmm. play against, you have more of a discussion.
1: So at that point, does it become John Marino and Ryan Graves? If you if you're just if you're just focusing in on New Jersey,
0: N- no. Uh, John Marino and Ryan Graves are really good, and they absorb a lot of tough minutes. But when the Devils like really did have an easier schedule, it's not to take away from their start, but they did have an easier schedule to start. Uh, when the competition got steeper, which we saw in like late November with the Oilers and you know the Leafs and the Rangers, the Capitals, teams that we expect to be in the playoff mix, the Devils did outplay them. The Devils mm-hmm. were the better team, but you could see that Graves and Marino's numbers started to get challenged a little bit more. They were still very good, but I think it turned. Mm-hmm. You know, you saw a little bit less offense. You saw a little bit more defense. It wasn't just they're out defending their opponents and flipping right back to offense. It was a little bit more. Defending necessary against players like that, which, you know, that's fine. Uh, Seekens Dollar Hamilton, right. though, I wouldn't take anything away from them because they don't take they don't play top competition. That's just balancing your pairs. That's maximizing their ice time. They are that good in their minutes right. that I think that there's a difference.
1: Does it matter? So I'm curious about New Jersey. To me, to me, they're one of the most fascinating teams in the NHL, and I, I don't think I'm in the minority on that one. Um, I, I, I look at the pairs and I say to myself, okay, so one of the greatest performances um, from an a sort of analytics measurement point of view, for lack of a better term, um, was the Boston Bruins 2011, where whenever the Bergeron line was out with Chara, nobody else touched the puck they owned it period when it comes to those top two pairs whether it's graves and marino or siegenthaler and hamilton on new jersey does it matter whether it's nico he and his line or jack hughes and his line that's out there with them is there a is there a discrepancy is there any sort of noticeable difference
0: In terms of quality of play, no. Uh, The Heashier line is so good. The Hughes line is so good. So it's interesting. Like when we look at quality of competition, we can look at quality of teammates as well. And you wouldn't expect, you know, at face value going into the season, the Devils to rate so highly. But something for Siegenthal or Hamilton is like the forward quality of teammate for them does rate so highly because they play so much with the top two lines. Um, But Mm -hmm. the difference really is the workload because when Heashier's on the ice, it tends to be against other top forwards. And that's the same for, you know, the Graves pairing with Marino, too. Like, their workload is different. You're going to see them have to shut down opponents a little bit more than just focusing in on offense. But they're doing it so well on both ends of the ice that the results are still strong. Um, With the Hughes pair, there's a little bit more offensive pop, but that's because of, like, the situations they're in and how well Hughes transitions the puck up the ice. You know, especially when, if you have... Jesper Bratt, whichever center he's playing with, you know that line's going to dominate because you're guaranteed to have two puck carriers yeah. on the line. It's a little bit less work for the defenders, um, but when someone like Hamilton's on the you know on the defense pair, he can carry the puck too. So you have so many threats who can do so many different things to push play up the ice.
1: Okay, one one more thing on on defensemen uh, and defense pairs, rather, and then I want to get to uh, to Tage Thompson. I had his dad on in the first hour; it was a, it was a wonderful conversation. Brent, who coaches uh, the Bridgeport Islanders, um, Ryan Lingren, Adam Fox. Do they get enough love? And maybe I'll say no. the same thing about Ekblad and Forsling. Do they get enough love? Uh,
0: Lingren and Fox don't get enough love, and I think. I think that, you know, Fox has been underrated through a lot of his tenure, except for his Norris season. I mean, that's tough to say because of his Norris season, but I don't think we talk about how good they've been consistently. And last year was probably the pair's worst season, which is really saying something um, because they were still very good, but it wasn't to Mm -hmm. the heights we know them to be. And they've bounced back a lot this year. They take on top competition in New York and they have excellent numbers while they do it. That's a big reason why Fox won the Norris when he did. He is that good on both ends. But Lingren, the way he's picked up his game and evolved over the years to, you know, not just keep pace with Fox, but complement him. He deserves a ton of credit, too. He's worked on his skating. He's brought a little more offense. And he's the safe, and dependable. He's not one-dimensional like he was. Um, mm-hmm. Forsling and Ekblad are very good offensively. Very good as a pair. Defensively, they still need a little bit of work. And there's a defensive element to offense too, just maintaining possession and keeping control and keeping the puck in the offensive zone and being able to transition back. And they are getting better at that. But I think the Panthers, it's more of a team wide thing and like their system and that like run and gun style. And they're kind of getting away from it this year to be more well-rounded and there's been injuries. So it's a little bit of a challenge. I think that they have more work to do back in their own zone. And it's not just the pair. It's the whole five man unit generally. Mm
1: Hmm. I, I really think they miss Uyghur. uh and I think, like, from day one of that trade, I'm like, okay, Huberto, uh, Matthew Kachuk, okay, maybe that washes, but, man, Mackenzie Wieger, I look at Shane and say, man, the, the Cats really miss him. Okay, so, uh, okay, let me preface it this way. So, yesterday on the show, we were talking about players that you would pay... To watch, like once upon a time, it was you know there are only a, really only a couple of players in the NHL that you would look at. And you would say, yeah, I would pay money just to watch Crosby or Ovechkin or McDavid. Now there's a whole host of players that you would pay just to watch. I asked Elliot this yesterday. He said Jack Hughes, outside of Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl. Okay, so Shayna, we're taking them out of the equation because that's the the most fun duo to watch as far as like two on one automatics. It's going in the net. They are number one with a bullet. So we'll take Leon and Connor out. Is there someone that you would pay to watch play hockey? Not the team, just the player,
0: just the player. There's three players that 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 come to mind here. Oh, wow. This is okay. Okay. So Nate McKinnon's up there. Kirill Kaprizov, absolutely up there. But if we're talking recency yeah. bias, not just the last couple of years, we're talking this season, it's Tate Thompson. There's there's no doubt in my mind at yeah. this very moment. Even before his performance against Columbus, this season it's Tage Thompson.
1: So what is it from like from from you and and how you not just watch the game but how you measure the game as well? What is it? I mean, first of all, we're not used to seeing a giraffe play center, and there he is, and a giraffe with like some of the softest hands in the entire NHL but from from how you consume the game, what is it about Tage Thompson that does it for you?
0: uh I'm really intrigued about the power in his game from shifting. Back to center, um we don't often see players break out when they go back to center. a lot of the time we see when they go to wing they're unlocked offensively because they don't have to worry about the defensive elements as much and for Thompson, it feels like it yep. was the opposite um he just crushes it back at center down, you know he's he's so good up the middle. I like the the versatility in his game and I like that it's very unpredictable because he has so many different tools in his skill set he has the power-forward ability to drive to the middle of the ice and create time and space for himself. And he also has a ton of finesse, and we see it with the toe-drags and the deeks and the creativity and the patience in so many... If you don't even look at just his best scoring chances, say, and you only are looking at his points, you're going to see such a variety in it, mm-hmm. and it's so exciting to see.
1: What do you think of the Buffalo Sabres as a whole? Like it, I was mentioning this on the program yesterday. It seems as if Shana... I'm curious your thoughts on this one. We all know what this team is going or the the, the core of this team is going to look like for the next, I don't know, seven or eight years, let's just say. Like they've been identified, they've been locked up. And now I look at, and there's others coming. Like you look at, you know, Paterka is going to pop eventually, Jack Quinn, etc. cetera. Um, I look at the Sabres and I say, okay, now it's time to make the team like the rest of the team. The core is identified. The core is locked up. You know, you got to get out of the, the green banana business at this point and not worry about prospects and picks. Now you have to make the team. Agree or disagree with that? Or should they still be, you know, in the green banana business a little bit for a couple of more years?
0: No, not a couple more years. I think maybe this year they need to be smart about it. And then it's next off season. Let's see how aggressive they can get. They have the young core, like you said. They have Rasmus Dalin who is hitting his stride and showing, yes, he was a little bit more of a late yeah. bloomer. And I think... We're so quick to be reactionary about young players because, especially when they're drafted highly, because if you're drafted top five, it's not just that you have that high pedigree, it's that you're expected to get there quicker. It doesn't always happen, and that's okay. And there was a lot going on in Buffalo, so you know, now it's exciting that he's getting there. And power is so exciting. Thompson, you have the new kid line with Cousins and Paterka and Quinn. All of that's great and wonderful. And Samuelson, you know, quiet, unsug hero who takes on such tough minutes and is such a stabilizing force. We saw the difference of how the team looks this year alone with and without him. But now you see mm-hmm. the moves that can come into play to start taking this team to the next level. You, can have it, you can't have You can have a contender with a bunch of 18-year-olds. Everyone will say it. You need to have, you know, a little bit of a mix. And it feels like they're yep. getting there because, the you know, the young core of a couple of years ago is starting to mature a bit. Uh, the tricky part is not... Jumping at moves to accelerate this too quickly, I think that's something we saw Buffalo do before. The Akposa and Molson deals come to mind. If you're going to give those big contracts yeah. and say, hey, we're taking this to the next level, it needs to be for the game breakers, the Panerins of the world, the Johnny Gaudros, not those players. But I have a lot of faith in the Sabres at this point because I do like some of the front office moves too. You know, They have a lot of data-driven minds like run by Sam Ventura and a couple other names in there. That are yep. really smart. We look at the Penguins when they won back-to-back championships. Sam Ventura was a huge part of those teams, and he he was really smart with some of the moves that the yeah. team made to get better to complete the squad. So I want to see what you know what influence he has here.
1: So w- one of the things that's uh, that's noteworthy about what you do is the uh, the analytics Excel spreadsheet. Which uh, <laughs> which which team Shana? Which team Shana still needs a an analytics protein shake? Needs to to, to pump it up a little bit more.
0: There's a couple teams. I think that uh, the trouble is not everybody has this out there publicly, what they're doing. You know, a a lot of teams do rely on consultants and they keep it a little bit quieter. Uh, Teams like Anaheim, it seems like are finally starting to get there because they were definitely behind uh, for the last few years. So they're a team that could use it. The Oilers, I know with Brad Holland, are starting to get a little bit more of that in their front office. That's a good thing. And I think the Sharks are a team that could use a little bit more help. Doug Wilson Jr. was working with a lot of the data, but they're a team that's in a really tough spot. I don't think it's going to be easy for anybody to navigate. Mm-hmm. But if you're in that cap situation, you need to have people who can find market inefficiencies and find you the next Carter Verhaeghe and Jonathan March or so for cheap, like Cam Lawrence did for the Panthers.
1: Yeah. That's, uh, that's a Gordian knot, as we like to say, that's, uh, that my career has with the San Jose Sharks. Good luck untying and unraveling that one. Uh, well, a couple of things. One, thank you uh, for stopping by, as always, uh, Shana. Always a delight. And two, congrats on the shoes. Um, <laughs> where, where, where are they getting <laughs> test driven? Is, and is I it going to be bowling tonight?
0: It is not. We are not bowling tonight. We have a Mario Kart tournament instead for someone's birthday. I thought it would be bowling. Um, oh, very bowling nice. Bowling would not. Oh, it good. wouldn't be a good spot though, because you have to take off your shoes, and I don't. True. I don't want them just sitting there. True. Uh, I'm contemplating. I think this is bigger than just a standard. I'm going to the post office food store to get coffee. I need something a little bit bigger. I'm thinking maybe <laughs> taking the dogs to the park and really like letting them get in on some like new action might be nice.
1: All right. Well, uh, best of luck to the, uh, to the pooches, and best of luck to you, not just with uh, your shoes, but also um, the great stuff that you're doing on the podcast and on, on The Athletic. Thanks, as always, for stopping by. You're so great. Thanks for this, Shana.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: There she is. Uh, Shana Goldman here, from uh, who appears regularly on this program. You can read her at The Athletic. You can listen to her podcast, uh, Too Many Men. On that, we'll hit a break. This was... I know I almost say this every week, but like this was one of the most interesting weeks of the season. Um, records that were threatened, goaltenders threatening other people. There was a whole lot. And to get you caught up and get you all set for the weekend, Matt Marchese is going to break down some of the more notable moments uh, of the past five or six days. Uh, Marchese up next here. weekend review on the Merrick Show as we continue across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment.
0: The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Bourne. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Welcome back to the program, and thanks to um, everyone who's commented on the, uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas tree over my right shoulder. If you're watching on Sportsnet now or Sportsnet 360 my favorite I've always had in the office tweeted out by the way today is the anniversary of the release of uh, Charlie Brown's Christmas with music by the great Vince Guaraldi and years and years later after watching Charlie Brown Christmas the number of times that I've seen it I got right into Guaraldi's music if you are a fan of the soundtrack of Charlie Brown's Christmas uh, you'll want to check out the rest of a very very cool musician uh and garaldi he is fantastic anyway uh welcome back to this alleged hockey program and we bring aboard our producer matt marchese how you doing maddie
4: i'm good i do like your tree it's very very poignant it's
1: great eh yeah it is i've never never seen charlie brown christmas sad well this conversation is over maddie thanks so much for joining me today i'm just gonna filibuster until the top of the hour (laughs) you've never seen that are you serious you're raised by wolves. You fall down a flight of stairs. What's wrong with you, man? No,
4: you know what? I don't. I actually, you know what? The problem was, was as a kid, I used to watch like Home Alone and Home Alone Two literally all the time. And then as I got older, I got into like my favorite Christmas movie of all time is It's a Wonderful Life. And my wife refuses oh, to of watch course. it. Yeah, Mr. She- she w- doesn't want to watch it because it's in black and white and doesn't have an appreciation for black and white movies. Oh, come on. Yeah.
1: Oh, stop. Seriously? Yeah. So I got her the colorized version. Few, I, uh, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> maybe she'll be a fan of Mr. Potter then. If she's that cynical about the whole thing, she yes. should actually cheer on Potter in Pottersville. Uh, <laughs> instead of cheer- Anyway, um, first of all, man... Listen, you're a dad now. You mm-hmm. owe it to yourself um, and your child and your beautiful daughter to see Charlie Brown Christmas. And yes. And expose her to that as, as, as soon as possible. So the minute this show is over, uh, I want you to go search it out and, and get ready because it is a thing of beauty, not just for your eyes, but because of Guraldi's music for your ears as well. Anyhow... Um, The week that was, like, this was a weird one. And I know the headline is going to be Tage Thompson, obviously, in the five goals and one assist against the Columbus Blue Jackets. And I'm, I'm sure we're going to get there. Um, but, by, oh, actually, by the way, um, when I was talking to Brent Thompson, I know he's going to be very diplomatic and doesn't want to insult another coach. And this is, you know, the headline becomes, you know, uh, 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 Brent Thompson insults, his, insults Granado's decision not to, you know, try to get his, his son the record but was there not a part of you that was listening to his voice and saying I bet what he's dying to say is yeah I wanted to see him play like 9 minutes and try to shatter this record he's a parent of
4: course he did he wouldn't have a he wouldn't have a pulse if he didn't jeff of course that's what he wanted to say
1: i would have said the same thing yeah i give my kids some more ice time here like come on the minor play hockey or, give coach play the power play. give him the full 2 minutes yeah come on give him full 2 minutes let's go <laughs> Anyhow, what it. are you uh, what are you serving up here? What are you serving up here today, Matty? So
4: uh, let's start with Alex Ovechkin moving to within 100 goals of Wayne Gretzky as he approaches Gordy Howe's uh, second place of all time spot. And you know, with the Ovechkin thing, like we're not going to do this every week. It's not next week. He, next week he's within 95 goals, but the hundred goal mark yeah. does kind of resonate with me because. It does, when you get to 100, it does feel like this is really going to happen as long as he stays healthy. And there was a, there was a point in yeah. time where he started to slow down and we went, I'm not so sure that he's going to get there. Now I am almost certain that he's going to get there as long as he's healthy.
1: As long as he's healthy. Okay. So, you know what I think about? I've, I've thought about this because, you know, the other day he scored the two, uh, the two goals to, to bring him to this number right now. And both of those goals were empty netters. <laughs> Love it. Okay, both those goals were empty netters. If he is one away, or maybe if he's already tied with the record and it's the tie-breaking goal, and Alex Ovechkin is looking at an empty net, if you're Alex Ovechkin, at that point, do you care what that goal looks like? Or will you just take the empty netter? I think that you just take the empty netter. Like,
4: we talk, when we talked to Stamkos this week when you said, like, you know, how would you envision 500? And he's like, oh, you know, I'd love to go end-to-end, and it would be great. But he goes, we know that's not how it yeah. usually happens. But for Ovechkin, here's what I will say. I know at that point they're going to throw him out there as much as possible. But we've had this conversation. I know plenty of others have as well. There is an importance of being on the ice when the other team has an extra attacker. That means you are also trusted defensively. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that I think an empty you still got to put it in the net. I've seen plenty of guys miss. I saw Mitch Marner miss the other night, and then get another chance at
1: it. So yeah, I think <laughs> I think he just takes it. I think he should. Yeah, you think you? I, because we're I think we're all of the mind that okay, so it's going to be from the ov spot. It's going to be a one timer. He's going to blow it past whichever goaltender then goes down in in the history books. But what if it's an empty netter? What if he's stare I I I don't I don't know. My instinct is same as yours. He just plunks it in, and it becomes the biggest empty net celebrate. Well, I mean Gretzky's only had one, but it becomes one of the biggest empty net celebrations we've ever seen. But just seeing that, like that, that got me to think. I had never considered it until this very week, Maddie, that because he scored the two empty netters, what if it's an empty net situation and it's staring at him? Does he take it or does he just? Dump it in the corner. I will. Because, I Because you know, by that time, that the whole the whole team is going to revolve around getting Ovechkin the for record for sure. For sure. I will argue
4: that Wayne Gretzky broke Gordy Howe's uh, record on an empty net because <laughs> it was empty. Listen, I
1: know. <laughs> I know. I know. Like I, I get, I get all of this, but still, I don't know. I, I think he goes I would for it. Put, put it this way: in, in a, in a perfect world, it's from the O V spot. And yes. He blows it past the goaltender.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I I'd, I'd like to see him from the Ovi spot, but he flubs one and it just like trickles into the net. That would be the ultimate shot in the shot in the arm for, for hockey fans. Oh, he's winding up.
1: Oh, it trickled in. He, no. You know what's gonna happen? I'll tell you what's gonna happen. He's gonna score. The bench is gonna empty. Huge celebration. Offside, offside challenge. Side challenge. Yep. And it gets called back. Yeah. That's what's gonna happen.
4: Probably. Um all right, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on here. Uh, Connor McDavid becomes the first yeah. player to reach 50 points in a four-point effort the other night, and it's a, we just, we can just talk to the cows come home about Connor McDavid, but it does feel like every year now it's like, oh, he did that last year. Pfft. He's going to best that this year for sure because he's Connor McDavid. Like It doesn't feel like we're ever going to see his ceiling. Like, I know we're going to eventually, but he just puts a point at an alarming number, and it just feels like like 150 points is within the realm of
1: possibility for this guy at some point in his career. Yeah. Uh, a few people have felt this, not many. You can count them on one hand. Um, players in the NHL that can do exactly what they want to do. Like, everybody has a mind. Like, before a game, like, when you're doing your activation, meditation, whatever, um, and you're getting into the game, you're getting changed, you're thinking about what you want to do in that game. It must be really nice yeah, to be able to say, this is what I want to do, and then go out and do it. Like, just to be able to say, okay, you know what? Next level, right now, boom, I'm going to get a goal. I'm going to go effortlessly through three guys. Or watch me back these defensemen up. Or watch me, defensemen don't, you know, don't don't cross their skates. But watch me get, watch me force this guy to cross the skates. I'm gonna, I'm gonna force him to to turn around. No one's gonna, like, no one's gonna see cut on me. They're gonna turn and tuck tail and race back, <laughs> right? Like, like, how cool? I always think about this with with hockey players, and I thought about this with Taye Shops. Like, what's going through your mind? Is all these things are going in? And I always think, like, what's it got to be like? To be Connor McDavid on that one very specific moment. Because we've all seen it. But I don't know that we've really appreciated it. When you're leaving the zone and you got a head of steam, just seeing numbers and name bars. Yeah. Because defensemen can't see cut and keep up with you. I mean, there are some. I mean, uh, Jonas Brodeen is certainly one of them in Minnesota. And he can go stride for stride for McDavid backwards. But how... How internally satisfying is it to grab the puck, look up the ice, and see the other team's numbers? Well, it's like a superpower. Maybe Jeff. I'm just petty. Maybe I'm just... It must be, right? You know we saw that, too. I've, I've, I've mentioned this a couple of different times. We saw that on his first game. But to me, one of the most remarkable things I saw in Conor McDavid's first year was the first game. It was a Thursday night. It was in St. Louis, and McDavid grabbed the puck, and he was going down Jay Bo Meister's side. Jay Bomeister, one of the best skating defensemen of his era, Turned, yeah, and skated and skated forwards to get back into his own zone. That's when I went, whoa! This guy isn't just do. This guy isn't just doing this with the Erie Otters of the OHL. He just made like how many times did you seen Jay Bowmester turn his back? You didn't on a rush, you never. No. no, no, no. First McDavid game, Bowmester turns his back. Shocking. That's got to feel so cool. Yeah. That's just gonna feel great if you're McDavid, Maddie. That's like feel great.
4: that's like the line from uh, I know it's a cinematic masterpiece um, that you've probably never watched. Uh, Talladega Nights. Will Ferrell's character, Ricky Bobby, says, <laughs> "I wake up every morning and I piss excellence." That's Connor McDavid every yeah. single day. I right? have it.
1: You haven't you haven't seen Charlie Brown Christmas. I have not seen Talladega Nights. We're both embarrassed. I'm I'm we're both embarrassed in this conversation. I'm sh- no, you
4: shouldn't be embarrassed that you haven't seen that. I should be embarrassed that I just brought it up on the show. Um, now yeah. another guy who uh, speaking because you talked about Connor McDavid and making somebody turn. Uh, one of the funniest things we've ever seen yeah. was Alex Petrangelo with this next guy that we're going to talk about, Nathan McKinnon, where he sees him and goes, "Oh boy," and then Nathan McKinnon blows past oh, yeah. him and scores. Um, that Nathan McKinnon. Yeah. Uh, joins the list of injured avalanche, and that list is long. Like, when you look at all the players that are hurt in Colorado, that's a really good team, and they're all hurt, and Colorado somehow got to manage until these guys get back.
1: Five five of their top six are out? Yep. Like, right now, this is closer to the Colorado Eagles than it is the Colorado Avalanche. Or the Colorado Rockies from the 70s. This is the uh, oh, that's a very nice pull. Oh, I really did like the Rockies, and I I love those jerseys too. Um, Yeah, like this is. But see, the the tough thing, and I still think they make a splash at trade deadline, whether it's you know Jonathan Taves or whether it's Bo Horvat. um, But right now, they really can't do much because these players are all coming back. Yeah. Right. So even if you're even if you want to do something, you're McFarland here, and you want to do something. You're kind of stuck. Good luck, because these guys are all coming back and coming up back on it. You know what it does underscore that one of the most underrated. And how do you underrated when you win the Stanley Cup? But here we go. One of the most underrated players in the NHL is Miko Rantanen. Yeah, healthy and, we don't and scores talk a whole lot all the time. Healthy, hang on. Healthy scores and versatile. Yeah, Play And anywhere. versatile. Like yeah. I know it's tough to get a headline. When there's like, hey, look, it's Nathan McKinnon. Hey, look, it's Kale McCarr. Like, I get it, but Man Rantanen's awesome. He's so Rantanen's good. Man like super elite and super versatile. And you're seeing it now that five of the top six are injured. Uh, Maddie, thank you as always for a wonderful and fun week. Uh, wrapping up the program here, and our thank yous include uh, Shannon Goldman of the Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. Pat Steinberg, host of Flames Talk on Sportsnet 960. Flames facing off against Columbus tonight. Watch that on Sportsnet West. And against the Maple Leafs tomorrow, watch that on Hockey Night in Canada. Thank you, Pat. Thank you to Brent Thompson. Maddie, great booking. Brent Thompson, uh, head coach of the Bridgeport Islanders of the AHL, father of Tage All the Rage Thompson. It's the Sabres and the Penguins tonight. And as always, Elliot Friedman taking us out for a walk. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Frank Boraska, thank you. Brett Armstrong, thank you. Matt Marquesi, and thanks to you for listening slash watching. Enjoy the weekend. Back on Monday.